In the beginning was last week. We started off with absolutely a tremendous first line of the Bible. If you have trouble finding it, it's the very first page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that verse right there sets us up for the rest of the Bible. If that verse is not true, then we are people that are great cosmic accidents and we go through life going, what is the purpose of life as a cosmic accident? But thank God he created us. And we learned last week that he created us. He didn't just put us together. He spoke us into being and he, and he made us and he formed us. And as, much as, and, and as much as a surprise that you may be to society around us, you were not and are not a surprise to God. That fact right there is what joins us together. Otherwise, we would just be a social club and we come together and enjoy a time of connecting together and we leave as empty as we arrived. But thank God that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The premise of this series, as we're talking about in the beginning, and then next week, the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about in the end, which we're going to go to the end of the Bible, into the book of Revelation, and looking at end times. And, but the real key behind that, all that, is that right now, the knowledge that we have, the things that we learn about God, what's the motivation? Because in our Bibles today, there is truth for us for today. But it's not just as we look at the past and we look in the future. We know that we are in special times. And this is my mindset. What we're doing today, we are practicing for eternity. Do you know what it says in the book of Revelation? That one day all us Christians will be standing before the throne of God. And it specifically says in Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 11, what we're going to say. Now I'm not going to sing it to you, but there's going to be a great heavenly choir singing this. In the heavenly language that we sing, it's going to sound beautiful. It says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Personalize that. He's your Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And the premise of this entire series, as we look at in the beginning and then in the future, in the end of time, is this. The more we know about our creation and God's purpose, the more authentic our worship. And you can put that into many different areas of your life. In a good husband and wife relationship, the longer you're together, the, the, the more the, the bond and the closeness of marriage grows. You go from just liking the person to loving the person and truly loving them. In a very similar way, the more that I learn about God, the more that I understand his, the, how he created the earth and how he has purpose for each and every single person on earth, it causes us to say, wow. And I think a wow is an appropriate description because I've, I've gone through my thesaurus and trying to find a bunch of different words to expand my vocabulary and do the explanation of the things of God. But wow seems to sum it up pretty well. And the more we know about it, the more authentic our worship is. So therefore, not just on Sundays when we gather together, but every other day of the week and every other moment of our, of our creation, we can turn those opportunities into opportunities of worship. So therefore, when you go to work tomorrow 
or those of you who get to go to school, get to, hear that? Get to go to school tomorrow. You can somehow, through God, turn that into an act of worship. So it's not just the Sundays. It's the seemingly mundane things. We turn those into worship. We see the way that God created the world. He said everything is very good. I was thinking about things in my own family life, and I'm not saying this to embarrass my son, but if you wish to, to congratulate him later for his birthday yesterday, you're welcome to. And he was, he's 16 years old now, and he's getting more manly. And on Monday morning, we're going to go down as the Department of Transport opens up, and we're going to be, at least the plan is, to be standing there as the doors open with all his ID and his little certificate so he can get his L plates, and we'll, t- we'll, take the, we'll take the photo because that's what you have to do with his L plates and the before and after photos of his parents. <laughs> it started me thinking about my first driving experience and how much, you know, I, I say this with my parents in the room, how much cooler my, my family is, my, Tammy and I are now than what it was when I was learning how to drive. There's a photograph on the screen of a, a similar car to the car that I learned how to drive in. It was a Nissan Vanette. Tell you what, keep you humble. It was actually a really good car to learn how to drive because it was very hard to stall. But the Nissan Vanette, there was no way you're going to get any, like, you know, the, uh, I don't know if kids say this, you know, street cred, is that what they call it? I don't know if I had any, but I, I could drive. And I passed my driving test, and I, I was working full time, and I ended up buying what I thought was my dream car, which was at that time in 1985, short wheelbase Pajero. And I'm still a Pajero man today. That, and that's not my car because my car, looking back on it, and I, I honestly, again, with my dad in the room, I don't know why he let me buy it because I thought it was beautiful. And the, the guy who sold it to me said their engine had been rebuilt. No problems at all. Liar. Within a day of owning it, I was driving home, and it was getting dark, and all of a sudden this little light started flickering on the dash and it was the low oil light, and I was just around the corner from home. I pulled into home, checked the dipstick, and it was practically empty, and I learned a lesson in that vehicle. Here's the spiritual aspect of that silly story. When you are confronted with a warning light, you have a choice. Do you ignore the warning lights and the warning signs, or do you listen to them and respond correctly? I had a choice. Do I, ah, it's Fine, it's no problem. The, the previous owner said the car was fine, no problem at all. And, of course, I learned quickly that that car didn't just burn oil, it literally drank it. Like, I never changed the oil once because I was constantly pouring in more oil, like several liters a week. Like, <laughs> my very patient parents with the dripping oil on the, car, on the driveway. But here's the p- spiritual aspect of that. You have a choice of how you're going to respond. As we look at the world around us, we see things happening in our world that demand a response from you and I. How will you respond to the uncertainties of the things in the world around us? Our prime minister is heading to Scotland this week and is going to be talking with other world leaders about climate change and various things. And we look at that and we go, they see something happening in our world and it demands a response on their behalf. Now, I do believe that in, in, in taking care of our environment and picking up rubbish and making sure that we're, we're clean and following the things of, of, uh, as far as 
taking care of our environment, but that's not the answer of our world problems. Zero emissions will not save you from the uncertainties of this life. And what we find in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about the end times, and he says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, or I am the answer to all your problems. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for they must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We need to go beyond just head knowledge and work to a heart response. When we observe the things that are happening in the world around us and the uncertainties and the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the various pestilence and things that are happening in our world around us, how will we respond? That's what we're going to talk about this morning in regards to the fall, the correct response to our, to our world around us. Our principle for today is this, and it's speaking specifically about the, the end of the message. God's grace redeems me from sin. But it doesn't just end there. Through Jesus. That all goes back to Jesus. God's grace redeems me from sin, but it's through Jesus. It's not through climate change policy. It's not through your, your, your bank balance. It's not through your education. It's through Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to look at four different points quite quickly. And we're going to walk through them quite quickly. First of all, we have God's creation. If you have your bulletins, you better follow along inside your bulletin. We have the message notes in there. God's creation, Satan's craftiness. And the only reason why I called it craftiness is because I had to have another C word mankind's consequence and the redeemer's cure so here's our four points for this morning first of all it begins with god's creation god created the world and we looked at that last week and god saw that it was good and he calls it very good at the end when he created mankind Genesis chapter number 2 verses 15 through 17 we have god's creation he calls it very good Man and woman are created at this time, but they give the account and explanation of, of woman's creation later on in that chapter. But God did not create mankind to be a great cosmic robot to just follow what we are commanded to do without any consciousness. He created us with the ability to choose to follow him and to love him and to be obedient or choose to reject him and to be disobedient. The key there is we have the choice to choose to follow God or to not follow God. Just like this morning, you have the choice of how you respond. But the other part of that is you do not have the choice of consequences. You cannot choose your consequences for your actions. It says in Genesis chapter number 2, God created the perfect world and he gives mankind a choice from the very beginning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They have a choice now. Mankind has been given a choice either to trust God and obey. And you've been given every blessing around you. You've been given every fruit tree, everything you can possibly imagine has been given before you. Except for this one tree, in the, it says in the midst, in the middle of the garden, there's this one tree and he says, do not eat of that fruit. And of course, if you know the rest of the story, which we'll talk about in just a moment's time, you know that just like a two-year-old being told not to touch something, we go as mankind and we do it immediately at following. First of all, I'm walking through these quite quickly. We have, first of all, we have God's creation. Next, we have Satan's craftiness. Turn the next page over, Genesis chapter number three. It begins with a statement that seems a little bit out of context because you go from saying you have this beautiful, wonderful creation. God institutes marriage and it talks about how the unity together uh, describes the creation of woman. And and Adam literally goes, and this is a very, very modern translation of my own. He says, wow, woman. The very next chapter comes along in chapter number three. And it says this in verse number one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is a conversation in the garden between Satan, the serpent, and the woman. We know as Eve, but she's not yet named. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you're going to know the things that God knows. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Adam was a willing participant. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And that's why when you see a picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, oftentimes you'll see them with fig leaves, and it's recorded in Scripture. It's not just for modesty for our eyes today in the graphics. They were charmed by sin, the temporary pleasures of sin. If you thought through that statement, the temporary pleasures of sin, if you thought through in your own response how there's a phrase that's uh, uh, taken from Hebrews where it speaks of, of Moses. And Moses, when he's given a choice to either enjoy the pleasures of Pharaoh's household or to reject those pleasures and to follow God. Because it says, the pleasures of Pharaoh's household for a season. And that's where we get the the phrase, sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is fun for a short period of time. It would be remiss of me if I didn't admit that was true. Sin is a lot of fun for a short period of time. 
it must be a lot of fun because we as humans, we constantly find ourselves going back to it. You look at our society around us and, uh, and we'll think of some of the worst sins and the horrible things that people do and people will find themselves doing it again and again and again and again. There's something pleasurable about rejecting the things that God has called us to do and to live in our own strength and our own power for a short period of time. We're going to look at five different steps to sinful deception. Five steps to sinful deception. First of all, we see doubt. Satan begins this conversation with the woman, you know, as Eve, and he says, did God actually say? Have you ever found yourself going through things and you go, well, I really want to do this, but I know that it's wrong. But maybe in my mind I can change it around and go, did they really mean that? And we become incredibly crooked lawyers in our mind, trying to take the law and the things that are right and to twist them ever so slightly. And that begins with doubt. Did God really mean what he said? And that's where Satan begins. And that's where our deception begins with doubt. And then it goes on to denial. So we start off with a little bit of of doubt and then we jump into denial where Satan actually goes against the things that God says. And he says, you will not surely die. God says in the day that you do this, you're going to die. Now, of course, they didn't physically die at that very moment, but they began the process of our corruption and no longer were we eternal. Now we are going to be mortal. Now we're going to have, and later on we'll learn of the consequences of our sins. The denial of the consequences. And in a very real way, you will not surely die, is this thought. Somehow, I am the exception to the rule. You ever found that? And as the silliest illustration, the most common illustration I can think of is when someone comes with a really hot plate and they, they serve you at a restaurant and they put it down in front of you and they have these big mittens on and they put it in front of you and they say, be careful, that plate is hot. You, we often think, I am the exception. And we touch it. And then we go, oh, that's hot. The servant looks at us like we're stupid and goes, I just literally just told you it's hot. And we find ourselves doing that with God all the time. Somehow, God, I'm the exception. We know through society, these are the consequences. These things are going to happen. We go, I'm the exception. This isn't going to happen to me. It may happen to someone else, but not to me. And it goes on to denial. And then it uh, goes on to delusion. Eve here was deluded. Adam was diluted. And what I mean by that is they begin to see what was right as not that good. And then they begin to see what was wrong as in do not eat of this fruit from this tree. They begin to see it as, but look how nice it is. Look how pleasurable it is. And they literally say, when the woman saw the tree was good for food. Now, there's fruit. Why would God have created the fruit on the tree if he didn't want me to enjoy it? We begin to see things upside down. We begin to see what is right as wrong and wrong as right. And he goes on and says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. If God really didn't want me to enjoy this fruit on the tree, he would have made it ugly looking. And I wouldn't desire it. Have you ever found in your own life, and you're welcome to make eye contact here because I won't embarrass you with this statement, 
you have found that you naturally gravitate towards the things that you're not supposed to do? And the things that you are supposed to do, you find so hard. The simplest example of that is reading your Bible and praying. Reading your Bible and praying. Why is that so hard? And then in the mindset of man, mankind, why is looking at images that are, that are immoral so easy to do? We begin deluded. And he goes, well, why would God create it if he didn't want me to enjoy it? And he goes on and says that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. In other words, this is actually good for me. That's the delusion. This is actually for my benefit. I'm doing God a favor here by doing this. The delusion became very real. Can you see a similarity in the way our, in the mindset of, of our society today and even our own family and our own lives? Then it begins with active disobedience. Verse number six says, So she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. There's no such thing as an accidental sin. I want you to process that for a moment. There's no such thing as an accidental sin. In the case of Adam and Eve, we see it begin with doubt from Satan and then the act of denial of what is true. It begins with delusion, begin to see things not the correct way. And then it moved into active disobedience. But it resulted not in the enlightenment and the peace and the joy that they thought that they would enjoy. It ended up with disgrace. Verses 7 and 8 says, And the eyes of both were open, and they, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And it goes on in verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What an honor they had. They had fellowship with God, the creator of the universe, and they would take evening walks with him. But now it says, and the man and his wife hid themselves in disgrace from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That disgrace turned into shame. And they had shame and they, they, they saw themselves for who they really were. And it says in verse number nine, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. In other words, he saw himself for who he really was and who he really was. He didn't like and now he was filled with shame. You find your similarities in the way we respond when we do wrong. We end up with shame. That shame turns into fear. And that fear is because there's a broken relationship between us and our Creator God, where there was perfect harmony previously. They lived in a perfect world, and they, God said, it is good. And now we, because of our sin, we lived in a corrupt world. That shame turned into blame. And we see in, in verses 12 and 13, this is when God said, why did you do this? Adam responded, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Two things that Adam does. He instantly blames his wife. Now, can anyone, don't, do not make eye contact with your wife. Do any of you find that's the easiest solution? My wife made me do it. And all the other guys go, we understand. But you know what? It's a lie from the very beginning. You imagine this. The previous chapter, he had just seen woman being formed and he says now there's flesh of my flesh bone of my bone he's going wow this is amazing the very next chapter he's going she did it 
And then he turns it around and blames God. You notice that? He says, the woman who you gave me, you created her, God. It's your fault. It's amazing how deluded we become in our disgrace when we begin to, in our shame, to blame everyone else but ourselves. And even Eve got in on the act and said, well, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. He deceived me and he made me eat it. They had a choice, but they did not have a choice on their consequences. I'm going to walk through these consequences just super quick because I'm just going to make reference to them because of time because I want to get to the end, the good news at the end. First away, the, the, the woman's consequence. Um, we had the woman's consequence is pain and pregnancy and also this conflict in relationships. And that has to do with the tyranny of man over women. But also it goes on to uh, the second is the mankind's consequence. And a man, man's consequence, we see pain in our labor. Somehow previous to the fall of mankind, work was a joy. And you come home probably refreshed from your work as opposed to being hard. Those of you, it's springtime and the weeds are growing everywhere around your house. This is where they came from. They came from the fall. And also we see, and this is the worst, is the physical death. That physical death that ultimately leads to eternal death. That's eternal separation from God. God had a choice at this time. He sees these people he created perfect, and he goes, you've messed up my creation. But thank God we don't finish there because we have a Redeemer's cure. And the word Redeemer is a word that literally means, the word redeem means to buy back. And our final point is a Redeemer's cure. There's a statement made by a theologian, John Phillips. He says, sin is a radical disease, and it calls for a radical cure. And we certainly see that in the response of God. We see the very first prophecy of the coming Messiah. And every single Bible commentator that I've read agrees with this is a prophecy of the coming Redeemer, the Jesus Christ. In verse number 15, when Jesus, sorry, God is cursing the serpent Satan. And he curses him this way in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you read that and you go, what is that talking about? As you study it out, it's a prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to come and crush the head of Satan one day. And we see that. And that was not missed by Adam. Verse number 20. If you have your Bibles, look at verse number 20. It, to me, is one of these passages that is out of context. Because you look at it and you go, how does that fit in? Because he was just told, you're going to die, in verse number 19. And then he goes, in verse number 20, Adam responds. And I, I don't think Adam was ADHD or he had some sort of attention problem where he goes like, oh, what, what were you saying, God? I was supposed to paying attention. He was paying attention. He was standing before his creator and he responded in the most beautiful way. The man called his wife Eve. And it says, because she was the mother of all living. Something happened this week when I was studying this out that I had the greatest and most wonderful aha moment I've had in a long time. Because I've read that passage many times and probably so have you. 
And you read that and go, oh, she's the mother of, every, of all humans, which is true. But it actually was a response to God's forgiveness and grace. Because previous to this, he hadn't named Eve. She was just known as the woman. Because it was the only woman there, so it was hard, it, you couldn't really confuse her or mix her up with anyone else. But then he changes and he calls her name Eve. And we're going to finish and close with this this morning. In your life and our life, we have an opportunity to respond to the world around us. We respond in many different ways, but there's a correct way to respond when you're offered the redemption of God. Adam responded by calling his wife Eve and in a, in a wonderful way accepting that she was going to be the great, 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 great grandmother of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He was accepting that fact. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to do this in my own strength, in my own power. I'm going to have to totally rely upon you, God, for this. You know how beautiful that is? Every single time he called out the name Eve or shouted it out across the, the paddocks as they called each other, he was stating, God's going to send a Redeemer. God's going to send the mother of all creation to give us life again. So therefore, as we leave today, if you've not yet accepted that redemption for yourself, that can be something you can do today. You don't have to live in the consequences of your sin. Now we get to live in the hope of the glory of God before us. And later when we hear from compassion and we learn about what's taking place in, in Indonesia and particularly in Madan and what's going to take place there, we have the opportunity to share that good news with others that have never heard that good news before. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your love and your care. Lord, you've given us redemption when we did not deserve your redemption. You've given us your love and your care when we totally and actively rejected you. Not just as society, but as individuals. And Lord, that's hard to swallow. It's hard to face. But we have the choice of whether we ignore the warning signs or we accept them. So Lord, I pray that those warning signs that you've given us in the world around us, that we'll respond correctly. We will not ignore them. We will not sit back and be lax and wait for it to be someone else's problem, but we'll take it on ourselves. As you prompt our hearts, help us be quick to respond in the positive. As you convict us, Lord, I pray that we'll respond correctly. As you change us and mold us, we'll be grateful, Lord, because we want to be the people you want us to be. We want to do the things you want us to do. And in Jesus' name, amen.